Hello, everybody. Sean Sewell here with the Endearment.com podcast. Extremely excited to have my friend Pat Flynn back on for the third time. Pat, good morning, and how are you? It is an honor to be with you again, Sean. I am holding up pretty well, my good friend. How about you? Same. I think, you know, all things considered, uh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Yeah, let's, uh, we can jump right into that topic because that's like the elephant in the room. Um, <laughs> yeah, know? no kidding. It's the invisible elephant in the room, right? <laughs> it is. Well, what's that saying? How do you eat an elephant? Uh, one piece at a time. So let's break it down. Um, you know, uh, my goal for this, this uh, episode with you is to kind of pick your brain about how you were approaching this COVID-19 situation as an online business professional, as a fitness professional, as a father, as a husband. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's very relevant. We're all, every hour, it seems like, getting some kind of new intelligence, uh, best practices. I know uh, it's it's kind of comical. Uh, Last night, well, it's not comical anyway, but it's kind of funny to see how quickly things change. Uh, Our mayor for Denver, Mayor Hancock, uh, put Mm -hmm. um, in place liquor stores will be closing indefinitely at 5 p.m. today on Tuesday. That lasted for one hour. (laughs) You got to change that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that yeah, you might have been able to predict that one. That's that's interesting. Yeah, um, the response wasn't uh, so well. <laughs> wasn't so enthusiastic about yeah, that, what, right? Wasn't met I well. mean, it, yeah, people need their you know they need their. I guess they need their moral support. Sometimes that for some people that comes from the bottle, right? You, yeah, you can't cut down people too much. Not too um, much. <laughs> But uh, no, we're not, we're not, so I'm in Wisconsin, right? And we are not officially on, on lockdown like some of the other states. Obviously, there's the, 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 a lot of businesses have shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's canceled. Um, but I know in Pennsylvania, where I moved from, yeah, everything is, is completely locked down. They're full, you know, you are not to leave your house type of mode. Now, I will just say that us personally, my family, we have not left the house. We've tried to take the social distancing uh, advice extremely seriously. So aside from one of us just going out and doing a few grocery store runs, we have been very holed up, my friend. Mm-hmm. That's leading by example. I appreciate that very much. It's mm-hmm. for the greater good, you know? Um, and, and that's important. You know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot and this gives you a lot of time to do, to do reading and going back and, and rereading of, you know, the, the role of being a good citizen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of, and part of it's the ethical and moral life too. And part of the way that I think the right way to view morality is a blueprint for flourishing. You understand what human nature is. And when you kind of unpack that, there are certain ends that are objectively good for us. It causes us to flourish as as most of the kinds of creatures that that we are and are intended to be. So part of this you can do with philosophy. Another part I think does require theology at some point. But, you know, you go back to the great thinkers of even Plato and Aristotle and part of human nature is not just being a rational animal, but also being a social animal. And this is something we all get intuitively, right? Philosophy just helps to unpack a lot of these intuitions. And it is, it is good, for, and it's kind of interesting because one of the prevailing kind of moral ideas of, of our culture today, well, there's kind of two, right? There's relativism, which I think is ridiculous. There's also radical individualism. And what I, what I would argue and what a lot of the classical thinkers would argue is that it is not good for us to be radically individualistic. That is against human nature. It's, it's athwart our flourishing. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and we can always, we can, again, this is very intuitive, right? When somebody is radically individualistic, it's like all these teenagers who are swarming down to the beach 
oh, and Florida. Florida for spring break. Like everybody looks at that with appropriate moral disgust. It's like, how, mm-hmm. how can you do this, right? When you're, you're just being incredibly selfish and you're putting all these other, it's not just about you, right? And we would say this isn't just a harm to society on a deeper level. It's a harm to those teenagers mm-hmm. when people act that selfishly, right? There's, there's, there's many harms that a human can, can experience in life. And there's, there's not just physical harm. There's moral harm. There's spiritual harm. There's, there's mental harm. And the idea of kind of understanding morality is that the moral law is in some way inviolable, right? No matter what, if you, if you transgress the moral law, you're going to be harmed in some way. Maybe not physically, but in these other ways. And so when you understand that, you can, you can see this sort of radical individualism. And look, people are young. We all do stupid things when we were young. So it's not like this is exclusive to this. Gen- I know some people are saying, it's, this is this generation. Look, I was an idiot when I was 20 years old too. Right? Oh yeah, me too. But part of that was I was raised in a, in a culture that didn't instill proper moral education, right? Yeah. And, and you brought up the idea of the common good is part of our individual flourishing is inherently connected with how we treat other people and making the necessary sacrifices to promote the common good. And that that's not just good for society at large, it's good for us as well. And I think when you can see the world that way, everybody benefits from it. But so much of the problem is, is people don't see the world that way, or at least they don't see it completely that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are just, uh, so, sorry to start with a, uh, a rant or a ramble there. But oh no. <laughs> I, I thought you brought up a, an interesting point about it. Yeah, please do. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, like the last two times we spoke, I help run a, a very large backcountry ski and snowboard group. It was like maybe 5,000 the first time we spoke. And then it was like 6,500 about a month ago. Is that 7,500 now? Primarily because they closed down the ski resorts here in Colorado, as they should, right? The very mm-hmm. first case, according to what I read, the very first case of COVID in Colorado was a, a tourist who had traveled from Italy to, um, to Denver, then up to Summit County to go skiing. That wasn't even three weeks ago. Look at us now. We're in a full-on, mm-hmm. we, we were on a lockdown officially as of yesterday. And I, like you, I've been socially distancing. I, I closed down my three gyms uh, last Monday, which is, I never thought I had to do that. So mm-hmm. you know, that, that brings a whole other topic in a moment. But uh, back to this group. So as an administrator, trying to do the greater good and be a leader, lead by example, I had to go up there and say, I am not going to go recreate in the mountains now because I can't guarantee that everybody's going to respect the boundaries of six feet. I can't guarantee everybody's mm-hmm. going to be cleanliness and uh, respectful boundaries. And also there's an influx of people who are not educated or equipped to go into the back country. They're now going into it, causing a greater mm-hmm. demand for uh, search and rescue and other resources that should be going towards the front lines of what we're facing as a society. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a tough call. There's a lot of back and forth. Like you said, radical individuals and people like, well, I'm off of work. I got two weeks paid. And like, it's going to be one, two weeks people, but you know, <laughs> just go <laughs> stay home and do a puzzle, you know, like for the greater good. <laughs> and like speaking, like is, there's not just like a, a lack of, re- of love, right. I would argue on a, on a, you know, on the most fundamental level. Uh, there's also just like a severe lack of prudence of just being mm-hmm. like even financially irresponsible. And like, we know yeah. like prudence is absolutely a virtue. So, okay. Even if you could, you know, survive this financially for two weeks, is that really a prudent way to go and just blow your money when there's so much uncertainty that this could last, whether this will last more than two weeks or not. Right. Mm-hmm. No, you're very, and, very uh, right with that. 
Yeah. And it is tough. You know, nobody, this is, this is an absolutely tough time and there's a lot of tough decisions that need to be made individually uh, for the States and, and for the country as a whole. I certainly don't have the answers there. Um, that's why I love just sticking to philosophy, right? We can do our abstract metaphysics and we got nice tight logic with firm conclusions. When you get out into the whole messy, like empirical world, right? yeah. <laughs> trying to like collect data and do tests and like build these models. It's just, yeah, I really just tried to defer to the experts there. And, Absolutely. and, that, and that's why we have to, um, it, you know, I think again, even though it requires sacrifices on our end and everybody, I, I can't think of somebody who would not be making some type of sacrifice in the, in these situations. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, especially, and we'll talk about the fitness industry. Um, this is hurting is no doubt. This is hurting a lot of specifically gym owners. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that own gyms. People are canceling their, their memberships. Um, mm -hmm. There's a tight financial crunch. I just talked to somebody the other day who who said, you know, he, in his state there is a full lockdown. He had to close. He was going to do it. He was going to do it anyways. But he said, I, I'm not going to be able to open back up as as it looks right now. So, you know, now fortunately he's he's got other options and, and is exploring other avenues and online and stuff like that. And oh, he's not in a, in a destitute situation. But yeah, it's real. I mean, the pain the pain is real. Um, it is. And some of these sacrifices are very serious. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to I don't want to belittle the difficulty of this. It is a real difficulty. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I have friends in different industries as well that are people facing restaurants, bartenders, um, massage therapists, people who are public facing their businesses. There, there may be a way to get around it, like delivery only for the restaurant, but probably not because they're very boutique restaurants and you can't deliver a massage over the internet you know so <laughs> right a zoom, a zoom massage <laughs> man if we could patent that <laughs> we would be doing good that'd be something right yeah uh -huh. mm -hmm. well um i feel so bad for them because at least you know like you and me like we love finding solutions to problems like almost like i seek out problems because i like to solve them and um last week was you know we were going to close the the clinic where i trained bush gym uh, just because it's the right thing to do. And then we had to. And then the, the gym inside the law firm where I train, we, they close that, obviously, very important. So I created mm -hmm. a bunch of videos to send to the uh, staff, to the employees, and then onto YouTube to keep people active at home. Fortunately, on my second bedroom is uh, our home gym, and it's very well equipped, right? So mm -hmm. uh, it's easier for me to do that. But not everybody has that resource. And um, But yeah, everybody's filmed the pinch in some way. These people that have like, the two or three weeks off paid, for big companies. That's great. That's not the norm though. That's the kind of the exception mm -hmm. for a lot of people. A lot of people are getting laid off, a lot of stress, Yep. a lot of, a lot of things to manage, a lot of suffering, but you know, like suffering, I think is very important. We've talked about this. That was, that was the whole theme of our last episode. So it's like, well, how, how, how relevant. And um, I, yeah, I would love to point people back to that. Cause I thought that that was such a, I mean, that was, I love that conversation. And, and I think we're seeing it in real time. A lot of things that we've talked about before. I was actually just talking about this with Dan John. Yeah. I was chatting with him about an hour ago. Oh, nice. And we're seeing again, this, I, this, this sort of re-knitting, mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, very difficult times, no doubt the suffering is real, but we're seeing a lot of fruit come out of it, you know, small and large. We're seeing incredible acts of generosity. In fact, I've just, somebody just sent yeah. me an article of a, of a man over in Italy who was a priest. And he gave up his ventilator so somebody else could, and he died and he, he's, he's dead. Whoa, and like, you see something like that and you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Like that's the most, one of the most beautiful things that you can, can imagine. Yeah. But it seems like only an act of that high of self-sacrificial love would be possible where suffering is also possible. And like, we, again, we talked about this last time when we think of like 
some of the greatest goods of humanity. Like you think of an act like that where somebody just gives themselves completely for the good of another person. Like what is, what is higher than that in terms of a moral good? You can't really think of anything or like you hear these stories in war too where the, the soldier like jumps on a grenade to save his friends and yep, things like exactly. that, right? And it's like, wow. And you see those things happen and, and it reminds you what, what I think humanity is meant for. Is, is destined to, is, is pointed at, these, these highest acts of, acts of love. So you're seeing things like that. You know, there's definitely the extreme level of that, which we all admire, but even smaller things of, of people just making small sacrifices of, you know, making, they're checking in on the elderly people, even grocery stores, right? A grocery store mm-hmm. by us has done a wonderful thing of just setting out a certain time for elderly people Smart. and they don't let anybody else come in and they do curbside to them to just try and help them. And you're seeing this this, this kind of re-knitting and you're really seeing humanity come together and connect in ways that they've been very, so social distancing, interestingly, has, has kind of <laughs> brought people together in a, in a, I think, in <laughs> a deeper way. That's true. Ironically, right? And even families, families are eating dinners together now. They're eating all their meals together now. Um, mm-hmm. Even in my family, you know, we always have dinner together, but it's just nice to have all of our meals together now. Yeah. And, and, and so there's just some, like, again, there's, there's, there is an optimistic side to this, and I want to highlight that as well. And as we talked about in our previous conversation, you know, whenever we go through suffering, look for those opportunities in ways that you can respond, that you can grow in the sort of, the, I would call it the fruits of the Holy Spirit, in kindness, generosity, compassion, tenderness, charity, love, all those, all those things. Um, because that's some, that it's in those periods of immense struggle where we often have the greatest opportunity to, to flourish in that respect. Mm-hmm. Well said, Pat. Very true. Very, very true. Um, speaking of at home, so my, my wife is able to work from home. She works in HR. And it's, it's been, uh, the first week was obviously a little bit of a struggle for both of us because I work from home a lot. And, uh, but this week, we, it's been awesome. Like, she had a conference call. I have, I have you. And then she has another conference mm-hmm. call. And <laughs> we're taking turns, you know, being the loud one in the house. <laughs> Yep, and, uh, yep. mm-hmm. it's, uh, and also, you know, I want to give you a shout out for all your resources you've been saying, not the, the low cost, healthy recipes, um, very helpful mm-hmm. stuff you've been doing, the oven baked barbecue wings. We did chicken last night with barbecue sauce. I've never mm-hmm. done it before. Just mm-hmm. baked it. Super easy. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate this kind of stuff. I know in World War II, um, my, my parents, parents generation, I suppose, you know, they grew vegetables, right? They, they did their part mm-hmm. to to minimize their impact on, on the whole so we can get through a yep. big thing, right? And I think that's going to force or allow for us to do the same thing, something where we can grow a lot, be more humbled and more minimalistic and appreciative of all the resources and the people. I think that's a really good point. And um, I think we can all maybe ask for ways, again, however big or small, like what, what could I do in this situation? Now, I run my own business. But it's not a manufacturing business. I can't switch and produce ventilators, for example. <laughs> but I very much admire all the businesses that have, have been doing that. And that's, that's another really cool thing to see of businesses really stepping up in the private sector, contributing to the, to the, to the public good. It's, it's, that's yeah. really, like you often have seen in, in wartime and doing so voluntarily, right? A lot of these mm-hmm. businesses are, are just stepping up. They're not you know, being forced to do so. Um, and I think that's very noble. But even in the fitness industry, you know, we have resources that can, can really help people. We know that, you know, people still need to care about their health individually mm-hmm. uh, and, and are concerned about doing so, even at home. So, you know, I've tried to just, you know, hey, here's some, here's some simple routines you can do at home. You could even do them with your family to stay in good spirits, to be productive, you know, to stay strong, stay healthy. And then with the recipes, I was bring- my wife actually is the one to thank for those recipes. She's, oh, nice. she's the chef in the house. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we were brainstorming and like, hey, you know, people probably can't go out and do a whole bunch of grocery shopping right now, but maybe we could just put together some simple healthy meal ideas of stuff that people will likely have around the house or that are relatively low cost ingredients, you know, oh, yeah. um, that they can put together. So it's just, you know, it's not, it's not nothing. It's no great major sacrifice by any means, but I've gotten, you know, people have given me really good feedback over that. And, it, you know, so that, that makes me smile to, you know, see that it's helped in some small way. It's helped a lot. The good quick beef skillet. That's going to be probably Thursday night's dinner right there. It's the, uh, the I love the Sicilian chicken soup. I'm a big soup and stew guy. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, if for anyone who's listening to this, we'll just if you want to, we'll just put it in the show notes. And, yeah, you know, easily. Yeah, who, yeah. That pass the, that sucker around. Co fit sure. nineteen mm-hmm. protocol. The body weight. You and Alex put that in there too. Yep. That's yep. Really so if you've got stuff. a kettlebell at home, or you just want to do body weight, we've got all kettlebell and body weight workouts. Usually short, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, but you know, vigorous. I think you'll enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think it's fantastic. Like you mentioned about people in the fitness community, one, it's a big blow. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't have my yoga studio open or my, my personal training or my group classes. What do you do? Well, you know, you have a little bit of like misery for a moment and then you, you figure it out like, oh, I have an iPhone or, you know, a laptop or camera. I can film something. And me being me, I overdo everything. I'm shooting in 4K, 60 frames a second with like <laughs> microphones. It's just ridiculous, right? It's not necessary, mm-hmm. but I like creating that kind of stuff. Where the, when um, my wife and I have a good friend who has a, a yoga studio and they just did streaming ones on Facebook and they were great. You know, they weren't the best quality yeah. visually or audio, but we did it. I had a, I, I never done a full yoga flow. I'm still sore. It was good. Oh yeah. They will, they will <laughs> eat mind. you up my friend. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and you're right. That's, I think that is exactly, you know, we can't make the virus go away. At mm-hmm. least not not yet doesn't seem. Um, but what can we do, you know, to respond? And it's amazing to see when like humans are so creative and so adaptive. When these restraints come and these demands come, you see such a flourishing of creativity. It's incredible. I've seen some really cool ideas and stuff that people have been doing just to keep the communities alive, even virtually. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of the obvious or more, I guess, popular stuff is um, even my friend Sam, who owns the Dragon Gym. You know, he's just streaming and he's put up a full online curriculum of all the taekwondo forms and this cool. and that just to you know just to keep people connected and, and moving forward even though you know they're obviously not able to come into the gym right now and i think these are good i think these are good things you know maybe mm-hmm. not ideal things we would all rather be in person working out at the gym but i think it's 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 a way to make the best of, of the situation and keep people again you know you don't want to just be sitting at home scrolling through twitter it just you know, you know, filling your body with anxiety and stress, right? Oh, it's just, yeah. That's not, you know, you want to stay informed, you want to stay alert, but there's better and worse ways to do that. So find the things that you can do mm-hmm. uh, to keep yourself healthy, focused, and, and productive as far as possible. And I appreciate all the gyms and martial arts studios and all those places that have, have you know, haven't just shut down and that's it, but they're, they're doing, they're doing something, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's been really encouraging to see. It's given me so many ideas that I, I like I told you at the very beginning before we recorded. Uh, I was up at 2 a.m. this morning, just excited for this, this chat with you. And I have like notebooks of ideas of things to create this week. And um, it's an exciting time for creativity for sure. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know, this might be a great time to finally finish that book that you've been wanting to write your entire life, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> everybody, yeah. everybody wants to write something at some point. Come on. Right? Let's, what a better time to, to, to finally 
you know, roll up your sleeves and get to work on something like that. Right? Like think, like, just think about that. Like what's something I've been really wanting to do that might be a significant time investment. And mm-hmm. now I'm at home. Like what, what, what could that be? I, I don't know, but there's probably something. Oh, for sure. You know, and um, outside of fitness, I know a lot of places um, have made learning curriculums free or very low cost. So, I mean, my inbox is full of like sign up for, uh, you know, something on Teachable. Um, I have a course on Teachable as well. And mm-hmm. like in uh, other platforms that offer, you know, learn another language, learn how to play guitar or piano like you're doing. Um, just to, to get the muscle between the ears working and the heart working and just keep moving forward, you know. And, uh, and, and if nothing else, hopefully it will make people a little bit more aware of how many online learning resources there are. There's a lot of really oh, good ones. So and there's a, lot of co- there's a lot of colleges, too, that offer a ton of free courses that people are just all the time. Like, they're, they're just free all the time that people are just often unaware of. I, um, I, I and did don't, not know that. That's cool. And don't take advantage of it. Yeah, even Ivy League schools. Um, you know, now, I did see one pop up this morning for Yale for uh, uh, health or mental wellness or something. So. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, that's, that's really cool. I'll put a link to that. And, in yeah, well. and, and some of them are really well done too. I've taken, I've taken a few here and there and it's just, it's just interesting because it's like, wow, what an awesome resource. And it's, and it's just there, but few people know about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, what are you doing, um, to keep busy and are you, what are you learning right now? Um, I know it's a oh, lot to yes. <laughs> Um, what am I learning right now? Um, reading a lot, reading and rereading a lot. I have a, a book open here. This one's interesting. Um, this is Neo-Aristotelian Perspectives on Contemporary Science. And that is, that's philosophy of science, right? So it looks at, it looks at the assumptions of science and asks, you know, important questions uh, regarding just kind of the fundamental nature of, of the world. You know, a lot of things that go into science that are assumed, but we, ha- we should investigate them philosophically. Things like causality, identity, substance over time. And this is looking at it from a kind of, well, a neo-Aristotelian. So it's, we've seen a huge revival in Aristotelian philosophy and science lately. So that's been an interesting study for me, just getting more kind of shifting back from general metaphysics, which is where I spent a lot of my time kind of more into the philosophy of science and philosophy of nature. So, um, that's pretty heady. <laughs> it can be, it can be, but, it, and, uh, but it's important, I think, um, because there's, you know, you have, especially in a lot of, uh, there, it's important to be able to draw distinctions, right? Cause a mm-hmm. lot of times you read certain conclusions of science, right? But what, you, what a lot of people sometimes aren't able to, to uh, kind of pull apart are the actual scientific findings versus the philosophical assumptions or conjectures. And it's really important to be able to do that because these are significant things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's in physics or biology or, or anything like that. And understanding how the, what science is, like even just understanding what science is, which is not a question that science can answer. That's a, that's a philosophical question, that's right? Really, that's really good, Pat. Yeah. I'm going to add to it real quick. I want you to finish. Um, my last person I'm training today virtually is a data scientist. So our very first mm-hmm. appointment, I had said something, um, something's proven. He's like, nothing's proven. It's been uh, demonstrated. And so I've been learning uh, the jargon around how he speaks about science and data and collecting things. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see your part of like the philosophical behind that. Like it's all fascinating stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he makes it, he makes an interesting point. Like, so in in science, we typically see it as kind of an arc, right? Where we start with some type of hypothesis. So we know what, how to kind of narrow our hunt for data. And we go and we look at data and we kind of, you know, reason inductively 
up to some type of general theory of trying to, you know, refine the hypothesis. And then we kind of reason deductively down where we test the hypothesis, try to make predictions like, if this is true, then I should expect blah, blah, blah. Do I actually see that when I make predictions and stuff like that? So the nature of, of science isn't going to give you, say, a, a type of certainty that I would argue some forms of philosophy can give you. Like but we, we would say that in, in philosophy, we have like metaphysical demonstrations where we start from first principles and we can argue deductively to a, to a very firm conclusion. So, and of course, there's philosophers that debate whether that can be done. I, I would be on the side that says, say it, it can be done. And, um, but science is of a different nature, right? There's, there's always a possibility that some new piece of data could come along and it could completely overturn the previous hypothesis. This is often sometimes known as like, you know, the black swan, right? We go mm -hmm. out, we look at all, all the swans, we see that all the swans are white. So we, 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 we infer that all swans are white. There's something about swanness that entails them being white. Till we go to, I think it was, it's in Australia, we discover, oh, there's a black swan here. <laughs> yeah. We've now have new data. We have, to, we have to revise. And that is, so your friend is making a very important point. Science can give us ex probabilities mm -hmm. and often really strong probabilities. Like the theory of general relativity is like confirmed to an enormous probability, right? It's enormously successful. So nobody like seriously doubts it. But there's a problem with the theory of rel relativity and it doesn't quite fit with quantum mechanics, which also is enormously well confirmed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a problem of, you know, uh, of the, with, with, with gravity specifically, especially when it comes to the beginning in the universe and black holes of how we reconcile. So this is why people are kind of trying to reconcile these two theories because they don't fit uh, very well together as it currently stands, which is kind of an interesting puzzle, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but at some point, we expect that there will be some type of harmony or reconciliation there. And that's another question of philosophy of, of science, too, is like, do we expect in, and so, tell me if this is getting boring, but I think that these are no, interesting questions, right? Is some philosophers of science will say, well, maybe science will all kind of collapse, you know, into physics, right? That's one position. Like, maybe it will, we can all kind of come to some, like, unified, you know, physical theory. Uh, other philosophers of science would argue, no, uh, science gives us actually a patchwork view of reality. And we will not be able to, you know, fundamentally reduce some aspects of science to other aspects. And that's all, that's all very interesting, lively debate. Uh, but again, that's, that's largely a matter of, of philosophy. So philosophy of science really interests me because it, it, it forces you to study and, and get up to date on what the science actually is. But then to, you know, come at it and, and look at and examine all the assumptions that, um, that cannot be answered scientifically. That have to that you have to try and answer as a philosopher. Oh, this is fascinating. <laughs> I need to put you guys in the room together. <laughs> I would just be a fly in the wall and learning the whole time. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. But it's you know it's one of those things where um, in in science your friend is making a good point, right? We have good evidence, strong probabilities that we should you'll probably think that this is true, but we don't get like proofs in science like we get proofs in mathematics so i would argue metaphysics yes. or things like that right that's a good mm -hmm. point um mm -hmm. gosh yeah you're right he was speaking about some kind of pure math last time we were training and again he was just like you just big theories to me uh, so it's over my head kind of uh but it's all fascinating to me for sure i mean philosophy of mathematics is absolutely fascinating like what is the number two Right. Not like mm -hmm. two that you write on the chalkboard, but like, what is the number two? Is it something that exists? Is, or, or is mathematics something, here we go, 
something that we discover or something that we invent, right? Oh, yeah. And if it's something we discover, like where, where is it? Like, where is it? It's not a physical thing, yeah. right? It's a, it's a universal. So like, where is this universal, right? And that is a, you know, that is a fascinating conversation. And, and debate in and of itself of just the, the, not just math in and of itself of doing math, but the philosophy of math, really trying to make sense of mathematics as a whole and its applicability to the universe and, and where, 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 where to ground it if we ground it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love, I'm taking notes on the side over here, like frantically, like I something <laughs> to talk with him about today. Oh, that's cool stuff, Pat. Very cool. But so it's kind of funny, right? Because we all learn, we all go through school and we learn, we like we've learned to do math, at least to some degree. Mm-hmm. But like some of these bigger questions and assumptions, like those are, to me, like that's equally fascinating. And in some ways not, not more fascinating than just say, you know, uh, learning your, you know, differential equations and things like that. Right. Yeah. And, no, um, mm-hmm. this is fascinating stuff. Um, you've probably heard this. It was the first time I've ever heard this. He was describing why there's symbols in math. And it was to make it more uh, palatable to some people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I never knew that. I'm like, what is a, I didn't do good in math, obviously. I'm like a touchy-feely kind of person. But um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I like to twist knobs and touch buttons. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's all fascinating stuff. And listening to him, he's, he likes to use me as a, as a tool to him to describe what science is or what data is. or you know, So he, he can go present to his bosses or students or whoever he has in front of him. So yeah, it's cool hearing your take and then his take and my poor brain in the middle. Uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I've actually, um, have very few people to talk to about this stuff. So I appreciate you. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm happy um, to share this. This is great. Yeah, no, it's, 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 so that's, I've been reading that. I've also been, uh, revisiting you know, since we brought him up, uh, a lot of the classics and I, this, I would, you know, absolutely recommend to everybody as well. Just, just go back to like Plato and Aristotle. These guys oh, have yeah. so much wisdom that is especially relevant to our times. Like we just said, like the common good, mm-hmm. what flourishing is, what the moral life is. And, you know, in, in times like this where you kind of have to take stock and, and ask some of the bigger questions, I find that thinkers like that can be especially helpful. So. Yeah. And I, I try to imagine what they went through in their lifetime, you know, their, their life was not as easy as our life in a lot of ways, right? Like <laughs> in most ways. Right. I mean, it's, 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 I think this can be sobering at times, right? Like, like we're going through a period of tough times, but I mean, let's be honest. I, I mean, we're pretty well padded, right? Mm-hmm. Like we live in a pretty nice time. I mean, most people through most of human history would have been far more familiar with death and suffering than, than we are. Mm-hmm. as as just a, a normal everyday occurrence and um i think that there's certainly something to be said about that i don't want to rush into saying something foolish but um <laughs> because certainly i think we should be thankful for the for the good times that we have right mm-hmm. but it you know there's a saying there's a cliche i think there's some truth to it that, that good times make weak men in some respect and that we lack that that's good that that we we lack a certain resiliency yeah. And we, we actually know that this is largely true. You know, one of the major things that um, has benefited me in my life as somebody we talked about this before is growing up with a lot of anxiety and depression is, yes. is a therapy known as exposure therapy, yes. right? Exposure therapy that you, that one of the best ways kind of counterintuitively to overcome anxiety is to have certain coping tools, right? But also to expose yourself, to expose yourself to the stresses and, and the things that would, would raise anxiety in you. And I think that this concept generalizes. I think having exposure 
to tough situations builds is opportunity to build virtue, to build yes. resiliency. And that the reverse that. is and the reverse is true. The more comfort, the more padding, the more luxury we have. I think I think the less free we become. I think that's the irony, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like freedom has a nature and a purpose too. And the purpose of freedom is to choose what is really good for us. And I think the, the nature of freedom has been so corrupted in our time where people just think that the purpose of freedom is to do whatever you want. But when people start to do whatever they want, they fall into terrible vices uh, and they, they become less free, right? They become mm-hmm. dependent, and, and dependent and addicted on things, like whether it's Netflix or, or food or drink or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that really tells you something about the actual nature of freedom. Freedom is pointed at some type of, of, of proper end. And that when we, we live in a very lavish society and we don't actively discipline ourselves, in, an, in a kind of ironic and interesting way, we become less free and less virtuous and we become weaker. Um, yes. And, I, and I, you, know, you read back and you study history and you see so many people who would have been so much more exposed to the harsh realities and really are just became saints in many ways and extremely virtuous people. So I don't know, I'm just throwing a lot of stuff out there at, at random, but no, no, it's landing for sure. You know, I was trying to think, um, there was a really good quote, uh, uh discipline equals freedom, right? So like discipline mm-hmm. and like having, you know, not an abundance of like instant gratification and vices that's more freeing. I think like, you know, you're regimented, you, uh, you're religious. Uh, what Lent was very recent, right? Uh, yeah, well, a lot of people are giving up a lot more for Lent than they probably <laughs> originally expected. Uh, yeah. <laughs> including me, including me. Very true. Right? Uh, yeah, no, we're still in Lent. And that's, you know, so this is definitely a Catholic theme, but I think it's right. And you find roots of this, of course, in the, in the ancient thinkers too, is that, right, freedom, true freedom, freedom in the proper sense, is, is the ability to make what is good for you at first accessible and then effortless. And this is very counter to the kind of modern, I would argue, liberal sense of freedom, which is all about autonomous self-direction. And I think we can see through a couple of examples that there's something wrong about that view of freedom. And we've already pointed out a few that you can have, if you can start to make wrong choices and you can become less free by being mired in vice, right? And addiction, again, I think mm-hmm. shows that there's, there's something that freedom is, is for, specifically for, and it's for the pursuit of the good. And an example of this would just take something kind of out of context, but like the person who's most free on their musical instrument is a person who first restricted themselves and chose to practice in a right way. They didn't choose to just do anything, right? They didn't choose to just reinvent the guitar. They chose to follow a method and a process, right? They they chose to limit freedom in order to develop a, a higher degree of freedom, which is virtuosity on the instrument. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an apt analogy for human life in general, that we have to think about our proper end, our, what we are really oriented toward by nature. And we have to, like, like that quote says, discipline equals freedom. That's kind of a short way of saying what I, what I, making the good at first accessible, because it's not mm-hmm. easy. You got to make it accessible. But then through repeated action, we build a, a, a virtue, which is a habit, but it's a good habit as opposed to a vice, which is a, a, a vicious habit, a bad habit. And then the good becomes hopefully not just accessible, but effortless, right? right? Where we can participate and enjoy the good without much straining or striving because we've already, we've already disciplined. We've already put restraints on our freedom 
to pursue what is what is what is good and proper to us. And I think that's right. It's certainly attractive um, view of freedom. And I think if people had that view of freedom, it would it would solve a lot of issues like the spring break problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. In Florida. Very much right? so. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, it's a very classical view. It's a very traditional view of freedom. But uh, obviously things have, have changed a lot from, from that view of freedom. Mm-hmm. They have. Yeah. And also the person who uh, I should give credit for that quote, Jocko Willick's uh, Navy SEAL, very disciplined, right? So mm-hmm. obviously it's actually a very good book too. Um, if you haven't checked that one out. But. No, I have not, but I have heard of it, and I've heard good things. Oh, and it's I think right it's, in your bellywick. Yeah, and I think I it. think that's right. Like discipline equals freedom. That sounds that sounds right in line with pretty with the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I need to pick your brain on something. You know, Tim Ferriss. I, I enjoy his podcast as well, and he was mentioning going without things, kind of like what you're talking about. And I forget what famous historical philosopher it was it was Aristotle or probably a lot of them recommended going without, like. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, you will find this in all traditions, right? Um, Knowing Tim, he's probably pointing at some Stoics. Aristotle would depart with the Stoics a little bit because the Stoics were, a number of them anyway, were were quite extreme, right? That it's just all about your reaction to the external world and and that's it. Aristotle would say, come on, guys, right? Um, (laughs) A little bit of wealth helps, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, and this is true, right? Like if you're in, and, and we have the study, so I think Aristotle is, and as usual is the dude, right? He's, he's got, he's got the right answer. And we have studies that show this, right? That, that, that wealth and material stuff doesn't make you happy by itself unless, unless it pulls you out of destitution, right? Mm, yeah. So for a certain degree, if you give somebody some material help, they do become happier. And this makes sense, right? Like I don't care how good you are at meditating. If you are in destitution, you're starving to death, and you're just riddled with disease, right? I don't care how much you've been practicing these, these, these you know, the stoic framework, right? Having some help, material help, whatever that is, will improve the quality of your life. And Aristotle got that, right? But he also got that we need the other virtues such as temperance and prudence and fortitude to understand how to, how to moderate. And, and again, we see this empirically now. We have good studies to show that once somebody is out of destitution, just giving them more material goods and wealth does not make them happier. And in fact, at a certain point, you can become more miserable from it. So like this is just, just kind of vindicates, you know, I think a lot of what Aristotle was, was saying. And of course, you see this through various religious traditions. It's a huge recurring theme in the Catholic Church. It's part of what Lent is, right? Lent is to remind, it's for a lot of things, but it's to, to reorder and reprioritize our life, to break three, free of these things that are, are causing vicious behavior in us or that have, have kind of turned us away from a proper virtue. Now, there's a lot of the- theological significance to Lent as well, and I don't want to underplay that. But in, in line with, with Tim Ferriss, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a pairing back to the essentials and trying to realize what is really important in life. What is inhibiting my freedom to flourish as the kind of creature that I am supposed to be? And what can I do to make, you know, strides against that? So Lent is a very important time. Um, certainly it is for Catholics, but I think that the whole underlying notions of Lent are something that people should continually return to. And, um, you know, so, so both little sacrifices and and big sacrifices, um, you know, it it adds up. So for example, one of the classic things for Lent is fasting. And we've Mm -hmm. talked about this all, all before, but Catholics don't fast for Lent because they want to lose weight, right? It's not because they want to reach a certain body fat percentage, right? 
It's because it's about breaking free of, the, of certain dependencies that, that might be frustrating our flourishing or even causing actively vicious behavior. Um, and building in those, those virtues like temperance and fortitude as well. And it's very interesting for me because as somebody who's always fasted, you know, um, kind of outside the theological context for physiological reasons, I am, I have now realized how beneficial, how much more beneficial this is spiritually since I've started digging into the, the theology of fasting as well. Because now I fast from things that I wouldn't have fast from before, right? Like now I fast from protein and meat, for example, like, and as a fitness guy, I would have never have done that right. before. Right. Yeah, so like so like, that's a sacrifice for me. <laughs> yeah. That's like a legitimate sacrifice. Like I need yeah. my gains. I need my protein. Right. But then I'm like, no, I don't need that. Right. Like, what do I really care about? Mm-hmm. Right. And it makes you take a big step back and realize why am I so attached to this thing? And one, it's like, it's kind of like a weirdness to it. And in a lot of ways, and I would argue even a point of irrationality and it makes you realize that it wakes you up in a lot of different ways. And it makes you reevaluate and reprioritize. Um, so my guess, yeah, my guess would be that Tim was probably pointing to some of the Stoics. And look, there's a lot of wisdom in the Stoics, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But I think um, Aristotle was just, as he always does, he's able to kind of find that sweet middle spot, you know, between, between often two, two extremes, right? So you, have the, you had kind of like the extreme uh, Stoicism mm-hmm. and you have hedonism, over there, right? Like the, mm-hmm. all the ancient classical philosophies, you see them now, you see them today. Like it, it's all the same stuff, right? Floating around out there. And some gain in popularity through the ages and others kind of fall back. And it's, it's just very interesting, the history of these different thoughts. But yeah, I'll typically return to, to my two guys are Aristotle and, and Thomas Aquinas for, for most of that stuff. That's awesome. That's very helpful. I'm actually going to look into uh, more books from Aristotle and in this time of uh, learning. I, I would have. recommend his... I, I read his Nicomachean ethics. I mean, that's, that's a central, essential Aristotle. Um, one of my um, influences growing up, Mortimer J. Adler, we may have talked about him before. He, mm-hmm. he would always say, you need to read it 12 times. And I didn't understand why it was 12 times. He said, you just need to read it 12 times and then you can talk about it. And then you read it 12 times, you understand, okay, he was right. I needed to read that 12 times. Interesting. Uh, just, just to really fully appreciate it. And at different periods of your life too. Um, and that's, that's how a lot of the great texts work, right? You engage with it once, you hopefully get a lot out of it, but as you grow, uh, you kind of grow into these texts and as you, as you age, you, you have new life experiences that you can unpack from a lot of these texts. So if, yeah, if if anybody hasn't spent time with Aristotle, I would start as relevant to this conversation with his, with his Aristotle's ethics, the Nicomachean ethics. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes too, because that'll help out a lot of people. Mm -hmm. This is very helpful. I didn't know we were going to go on this, this tangent. I dig it. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's fun. But I mean, hey, minimalism. Yes, back to basics. I'm all mm-hmm. for it 100%, right? And cutting, cutting these things out. Cutting out, I mean, there's, uh, you know, television as far, mm-hmm. as far as possible. I get you may want to watch a movie with the wife or something. I'm not saying, you know, you have to be unreasonable about these things. Social, social media, I think, would be, would be a huge boon if people got off of the Twitter feeds as much. Yeah, I mean, I think agree. of how much how much psychological stress you would save yourself fasting, throw some cold showers in there, you know, in Catholic is Catholics. We call it mortification, right? Self mortification, um, which is an awesome term. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, engage in some good old fashioned self mortification. It'll do you some good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds probably worse than it is. Uh, hopefully. Cool. All right. That's very helpful. So I'm going to look into that and learn on that. Um, 
what are you doing with the kids? I mean, are, I'm assuming it's a little more time at home. Yeah. So, um, just kind of go through the day. We wake up. Uh, I, um, I start off with some prayers and some meditation and then I'll do some work. Um, we typically go to daily mass, but now obviously we're in lockdown. So we've been streaming mass as a family, which is kind of interesting. Oh, very nice. So like, so we set up like chairs and, you know, you'll actually notice I don't have sweatpants on for once because we actually try and like treat it as if we were really going to mass. We try and dress up and, um, you know, stream that. And so we do that as a family, which is good. And then, uh, then we have breakfast. Uh, we, we actually homeschool. So this has not been like a major oh, okay. shift uh, for us in, in that way because we homeschool, right? So yeah. it's not like our kids are suddenly just, just here. Um, and then uh, what we try to do with the kids, so they go to, they have a lot of activities, right, that have been canceled. So this is true. So pian- like piano lessons, taekwondo. Yep. Um, our taekwondo school, fortunately, is streaming the stuff. So we have that. They're one of those businesses that have really, I, I think, kind of stepped up and really tried to, uh, you know, just adjust to the situation. So we put the, we put the iPad up and the kids do their Taekwondo lesson in the oh, living cool. room. And we, have the, we have the piano video. So we've, I think we've been able to retain a lot of the schedule and adapt it to the circumstances. But I guess the nice thing I would say is, again, just having more time together. And I'm fortunate because because we homeschool, we, we do have a lot of time together as well. But we've been actually spending, I was talking with Dan John about this, the ironic thing is like the social, even though people are getting out of the house less, they actually seem to be getting outside more in an interesting yeah. way. So like, I've noticed like more people than ever walking around the neighborhood. I'm like, wow, I actually have neighbors. <laughs> like these people totally. exist, <laughs> right? And, and same thing with us. Like we're, we're pretty good about getting outside and walking. We'll be taking a lot more walks, right? Just, and mm-hmm. like sometimes we'll just go as a whole family. Other times like I'll just take one of the kids just to have some time with one of the kids or Christine will just take one of the kids. And that's been really nice. And that's, so we've been trying to reflect on things that have changed for the better, during this time that we want to keep. And I think that, that that's been one of the nice discoveries that there's been a lot of things that we've been either forced into or have um, started doing that we realize, you know, we should have been doing this all along. Like mm-hmm. this is a really good, like these family, like these more family walks or individual walks with one of the kids. And that's our intention at this point is to just um, to keep some of these things going that we discovered in the, in these difficult times that have, have really kind of, you know, they, they have a knitting purpose. They have a, a, a bonding purpose. Um, but since, I guess, since we homeschool, you know, I guess this hasn't been as difficult as an adjustment for us as it probably is for, for many other parents. Cause yeah, just by, by default. No, that, that's uh, very fortuitous. And also mm-hmm. you're, you're an online entrepreneur. So that's right. That's very fortunate there too. I yeah. Know, so, so my schedule has not changed drastically. You know, I've, I've always worked from, from home, which is kind of, that's this has actually been a kind of a little annoying, right? This is one of the small sacrifices. Is since I work from home so much, like my natural inclination is like I want to go out, I want to do things, yeah. like I want to go around people because I'm usually not around people. Um, and now I'm just working from home, and now I'm even more at home. So it's like, yep. <laughs> especially for somebody like me, it's it is what it is. Uh, but it, hey, we get to have these conversations, so you still get the interaction in other ways, yeah. which is nice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Pat, and I'm with you on that. You know, um. Fortunately, this podcast is going and the video works really well. And, uh, you know, one of the blessings of this whole opportunity is like, hey, I get to chat with some really great people like Pat and then mm-hmm. Jeff Newport next week and uh, tomorrow, Jeff Sokol and hit up Alex. Oh, cool. Yeah. Talking to the Jeffs. Awesome. Well, make sure you tell them I said hello. I haven't stopped talking. I'd be happy with- to. Yeah. 
Um, but you're right. I mean, technology is good. So I have a men's, a men's group where we, we, uh, uh, a religious and sort of, um, uh, study group for men where we, we work through different, uh, you know, either encyclicals or parts of the catechism or different books. And we've just moved that all online, uh, which is super cool. And I have another men's group for Lent where it's a bunch of men who are just keeping each other accountable for all the things that we've said we were going to do at Lent, which is hugely important. And same yes. thing, we just move that all online as well. So, you know, thank God for this technology, seriously, because it's allowed, it's allowed us to, to be able to adapt to the situation in ways that wouldn't have been possible not too long ago. Oh, exactly. And I found it even helpful for little things like, um, you know, uh, sharing um, – dinner with uh, our nieces because we can't see them in person, obviously right now. Mm -hmm. So we get up the FaceTime and, you know, say a couple things to them or see the in-laws and stuff like that. And um, last Thursday, my wife threw a, a happy hour through like a uh, blue jeans, which is like zoom, right? So she had like nine people in her HR group and they're all hanging out and talking and that interaction is just so important, you know, and That's we so take it cool. for granted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's cool to see everybody adapting. Um, mm -hmm. Actually her birthday is tomorrow. So, yeah, so I got to figure something out. I guess my idea is technology will help. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll do something very nice. But do tell her happy birthday for me. I'll be happy to. That's mm -hmm. very nice of you. It's mm -hmm. um, you know, and for us, it, it has been a different uh, a change because we're kind of in the middle. You know, I work from home sometimes, and then of course in person at the gyms. So that was a big change. But for her, she already worked home at at home one day a week. So we built a mm -hmm. office in there and. Um, she does great with that, but we're learning the boundaries are like, all right, you know, we'll meet in the break room, the kitchen, you know, at this time and we'll have lunch <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so whatever we can do to just kind of keep some kind of routine and, you know, structure. So it's not just uh, honeydew lists and laundry and all the usual stuff. Structure is so good. And that's something my wife and I do is like, we have a lot of time where it's like, okay, kids are going to have some quiet reading time or play time. And like, we're just going to hang out just the two of us and make sure that we, we have that time as well. And it, because if you don't allocate that time, you might not get it. Mm -hmm. So like anything else, you know, make sure you're blocking off time. You know, if you have a spouse with your spouse or even just for yourself, you know, just to do something that you know is important that you might not, that you might easily put off. Exactly. I'm a big fan of, of structure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Structure really, really helps. Back to that book, you're going to love it because they talk about the structure and how that um, gives you freedom. It makes you, you know, operate better in a lot of ways. So I think you'll really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, and that, and that makes sense, right? Because otherwise you're really haphazard, you're really inefficient. And mm -hmm. we, see, we see this, you know, the kind of thing that people often throw out is this idea of Parkinson's law, that work will always expand to fulfill the amount of time allotted to it. You give yourselves eight hours to write a paper, you'll take all eight hours, believe me, right? You give yeah. yourself an hour you'll probably just take an hour, right? And of course, there's, you know, you have to be realistic with that. It's not an absolute, but there's a lot of truth to that, right? That, that having structure and even when you have assignments, setting, you know, somewhat pressing deadlines really can help to increase focus and productivity. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this in all areas of my life, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's working out, I always have, I always try to have structure and set pressing deadlines. Now, it doesn't always mean short. Sometimes I do need an amount of time to do the work, so I try to be realistic, but pressing. I, mm -hmm. I want some degree of pressure that's going to cause me to focus. And even better, if I can have that pressure from an external source. So for, for writing projects, it's pretty easy because I always have like editors and stuff. And I'm like, yes. like, when do you want this done by? I'm like, when, and I usually say, when's the earliest you would like it by? Yeah. Because they, they, they have reasonable expectations, but then that kind of applies the structure and pressure that I need to make sure I'm as, 
as focused as possible. I'm going to use that line. I, you know, I, we talked last time I have 25 writers that I don't want to say report to me, but they report to me. And so I'm trying to play into their strengths as best as possible. And that, that verbiage you used might be very helpful. Um, so they're not feeling so pressed and so stressed, but like, here's the window. Like it'd be great if you had it here, but mm -hmm. up until here. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have other people counting on your work. Like, uh, this week we got pitched from North Face. They wanted to use a video we shot from outdoor retailer. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. You know, so I've been like hustling on that. And then Patagonia closed down, which was great. They did that. But every link I have, which is like 55 reviews I've done from, I have to send somewhere else now, you know, for affiliates. Mm -hmm. So I've been mm -hmm. keeping busy with that because uh, if you Google Patagonia anything, we're probably going to pop up. So a lot of, you know, immediate things, important things. And um, yeah, just finding the balance and structure for all of it. It's important. That, that's a nice distinction you made right there. Some things are immediate and other things are important and they're not yeah. necessarily the same thing, right? Like yeah, yeah. I have some, I have some or, or urgent if we don't want to use immediate. And I would argue do the important stuff when you're, if not first, when you're freshest, right? Yes. Because if you, if you waste a lot of time or energy on the urgent stuff, then you're just not going to have as much juice for the important stuff. So try and in whatever it is in your life, Try and separate those things out because a lot of people get taken in by the urgent stuff. For me, that's that's always email, right? Email. Oh yeah, oh, it's urgent. <laughs> but it's not that important, right? It's just mm -hmm. not. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, really move the ball down the field, so to speak. So I really try to place restraints on on email on on email throughout the day, um, structure there, so I can really focus on on what's important and not you know. Uh, hopefully, I don't want to say what's urgent isn't important. Everything that I do, I hope is important to some degree. Right. Yes. But there is a there is a degree. And I think it's, it can help people if you're thinking about structure to try and make those distinctions. Okay, what is really like if, if I can only get one thing done today mm -hmm. that that I would be and I, if I got nothing else done today, I would still be happy that I got that thing done. Almost never do I answer answering emails. Right. <laughs> like right. almost almost never. Right. There's usually something that's far more important. So I think that's a helpful question to ask yourself and to maybe think about ways you could structure your day around that. That's great advice, Pat. That's very helpful for a lot of people, especially right now where their things have changed, you know, they're not in their office or, you know, uh, they're trying to figure out what is, what is important, like what is uh, reactive, what is strategic um, and how to allocate their time effectively. Yeah. And the other thing is also what is important versus what is enjoyable. Sometimes the, mm -hmm. sometimes people are just attracted to doing the stuff that is enjoyable. And I'm in a fortunate position that a lot of my important stuff is enjoyable, mm -hmm. but also a lot of my important stuff isn't enjoyable. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have to make sure that I'm not kind of, you know, always leaning into the stuff that is important, but enjoyable, but I'm also making sure I block off the time. Okay. I really need to do this logistical thing because this is, this is a, you know, this is clogging the system, right? And until mm -hmm. I get this cleared off, I'm not going to be able to, to move through with whatever X, Y, and Z business operation. And just having that marked down typically at the beginning of the day with that cup of coffee. Well, not for me because coffee is one of those things that's gone for Lent. When I talk oh, about yeah. sacrifice, my friend. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so that that's another thing that I've, I've, I've learned in, in my life because my tendency is to try and avoid the stuff that I don't enjoy. And that has been detrimental. So. Yeah, can't yeah. do that. <laughs> you know, I was working with this Finnish guy, a Finnish uh, professional snowboarder, and he had a saying, and I'm, I'm sure it works in our language too, eat the frog first. That's uh, right, yeah, swallow, yeah. The, swallow the frog. or Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, like nobody wants to do that. So just get it done first, right? 
And um, yeah, so the idea is whatever, like the, 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 I think they would say generally the most unpleasant task of the day, like just get it done with as early mm -hmm. as possible, because if not, then you're going to put it off. And I think that that's, yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. And sometimes the most important task is the, is the most un unpleasant one, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a principle kind of in working out too, right? Like whatever is most important in our workout, like we want to do that preferably as early as we can in the workout while we still have the reserves, while we still yeah. have the energy and the focus. Um, and then, you know, doesn't say that there aren't th other things that are important, but like, Hey, if I've, you know, if I've got some heavy deadlifts coming up, I want to do that as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to uh, make sure I want to prep myself, of course, but like, that's not something I want to wait till I've already been in the gym for 30 or so minutes yeah, to get around to. Very good point. Mm -hmm. No, that, and that for all the fitness professionals out there, that's, I think that hopefully that's a, like a given, like do the big heavy stuff first and then work your way down. That's usually how yeah, I then do, then do, then do your curls and the yeah. extensions and all that. And like, just, just take that concept, which is, again, is very intuitive and working out, but just apply it to life in general, right? Mm -hmm. Like to your, to your career or your writing projects or anything like that, whatever is the most difficult, arduous, but also important task, just get it done. Yeah. Just get it done. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. with you on that. Oh my goodness. Um, I did get to listen to a bit of your Dan John podcast on the way. I went to the mountains last night. I was like, I know we're going to be on lockdown starting at 5 p.m. today. So I, I grabbed the dogs in a blizzard, went camping. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. But what surprised me was how busy it was up there, which gives me more reason to uh, abide by all the best practices and rules and stay away from everybody. Yep. But, um, you know, so we found a very secluded place and it was very pretty and the dogs were nice and worn out. But mm. Long story mm -hmm. longer, it gave me a good chance to listen to your discussion. And Dan and you always have great discussions. I learned something from him and you. I didn't know the water heater is a – well, yeah, I learned a lot from you guys. The water heater, 150 gallons of water in there. I never thought I learned, about that. I learned that as well. You did not learn that from me. We both learned that from Dan. I had no idea. But yeah. fascinating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. You know, and I'm actually um, sitting right – mine is like right there. I don't know if you can <laughs> see this. But like I'm, I'm in my – this is my basement here. So it's, it's right behind me. So I'm like, all right. At the right. safety tank back there. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you were going to stay hydrated, my friend. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, um, you know, because camping season is coming up for most people in this uh, continent. Not right now for a lot of people, but we get a lot of gear tests like water purifiers, water mm -hmm. filters, which there's a difference, um, solar panels and all this stuff. And so I was up shooting videos for like Mystery Ranch and Sawyer water filters and stuff. And it got me thinking about like, not like preparation people, like the preppers that are going crazy, but like what mm -hmm. would you keep on your person or in your vehicle or in your closet next to your water heater. So I'm trying to make like a, a best practices for like a non-crazy person's survival kit. I like that. So we can jam on this. I am not an expert in this, um, but I had, I, I'll tell you what, what we did. Um, it wasn't to go hoard toilet paper. That didn't right. seem especially <laughs> important to me. We have um, a bidet. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. Uh, awesome. Um, but we got, we got a lot of the stuff that will last a long time. Rice. I mean, if you yes. need rice, come and get it, my friends. We got plenty <laughs> of rice, rice and beans and you know, this, the, the food that doesn't cost a whole bunch, but you know, will will last a long time. And, and again, you know, not, not hoarding it. Right. Cause other mm -hmm. people need food too. And fortunately, I mean, at least around here, it's, it's amazing how quickly the stocks have, have actually been pre-shelled. Like Christine oh, just went, made another minor run to the grocery store the other day. She's like, it's all there, right? It's like, wow. Wow. Good Something, yeah, name. which, yeah, which is cool. I know that isn't the case everywhere, but uh, out here it's been pretty good. Even the Costco um, was pretty well uh, restocked after, you know, the initial kind of wave of, of people, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got that. Uh, we have we have water. We do have uh, you know um, we actually have uh, water delivered to our house because I'm I'm one of those weird water snobs. We have a lot <laughs> of water, um, but uh, you, we have the filter too. Um, that's honestly that's that's kind of it. Like we just made sure that we had the food handy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, the non-perishables. Uh, you know the water. And like the, the, the first aid kits and medical supplies. Smart. Bas- yeah. and, I, and, and I would argue it's all that, you know, this is, this is reasonable because it's all stuff that you either should already have anyways. Like if you don't, that's a problem. Or it's stuff that you will eventually consume anyways. Very so, good point. Yeah. Be- so worst case scenario, um, we just have a bunch of ex- – we just don't have to go grocery shopping for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Best case scenario, we were prepared in case we can't go grocery shopping for a while. And that's, 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 that's kind of how I framed my, my perspective on it. I think that's fantastic. You know, here in Denver and uh, probably other metro areas, we watch a lot of people react and all the TP was gone and all of um, the DiGiorno pizzas were gone. Like all this, like really, like, well, how's that going to sustain well, I, you? I, I'm sorry. I have, to, I have to chime in there because it's something about like DiGiorno stock must be the only stock going through the roof right now. <laughs> because Christine, when Christine went to Costco, she's like, people were fighting over the frozen pizzas. I'm like, the frozen right. pizzas? Like, what? <laughs> oh, people. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's, well, I'm not glad, but it makes sense. It's a valid everywhere around me because I talked to my friend Matthew Flaherty in New York City. Same thing. People are going for this convenience comfort food. And I'm like, how you and I eat, I think, um, I love sardines. I love, I love oh, yeah. vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, so I have, a, I have a whole cabinet, like a plethora of, I think, gourmet sardines from like Spain and Portugal. And I'm mm-hmm. content. All I had to do is buy maybe one more month's worth of that, and I will eat that. And, and, just, and just, put, just put a little hot sauce on there, you're good to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, I have a client who uh, goes to Costa Rica very often and brings back this really cool salsa. It's not very spicy. It's got, I don't know, I'll mm-hmm. send you a picture. It is the best in the world. Goes on everything. Yeah, no, th- that's great. Yeah, we got the 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 the, the canned fishes all the way. We got yes. we got lots of that, and mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a big fan. But it is interesting to see that, like, because it just yeah, frozen pizza. Like, look, I love a good frozen pizza. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. been a, it's been a while since I've had DiGiorno, um, but that just did not that does not seem in any way economical. Um, yeah, especially for so, a family. Like, it might be a nice treat for movie night, but that's not like uh, something you should live on. You know. Right. So, but that's it. Like I said, I am not, uh, fortunately I have some friends that are pretty wise when it comes to this stuff like Dan John. So I was able mm-hmm. to reach out and be like, Hey, you know, help me, help me think about this. Help me be, help me be reasonably prepared, but not like an alarmist. And I think that's the way to approach these types of things. Right. I, mm-hmm. That's healthy. I like that. It's, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I train a lot of bow hunters too. So I get a lot of meat when things are going well for them. Mm-hmm. So we have a deep freezer. And so, um, I used to get a quarter of a steer, share with somebody, and I put you know that in there. So we, we have meat, got canned veggies, you know we're good to go. But just watching people's like thinking patterns in the store makes you curious sometimes, you know. Well, it's, if there's one thing who's, who's somebody who's very familiar with anxiety his entire life, it's just you don't think straight when you're panicking, right? No. Like that's your body doesn't. That isn't the reaction you're having. So like even when there's stressful situations, it's important to just be able to have some coping skills with anxiety because anxiety mm-hmm. makes it almost impossible to think clearly. And as somebody – as people who, who have had anxiety or have struggled with anxiety disorders their lives, they, they actually tend – at least in my life, it's interesting. They tend to handle like real-world stressful situations pretty well in mm-hmm. a lot of times. 
right? Because they're kind of used to it, right? Like everything's right. a panic. Uh, this is nothing, right? <laughs> That's a funny, funny way of looking at it. I like that. I, I kind of try and think of my anxiety as like, I used to be debilitating. Now it's like a superpower. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just more aware of what's going on is how I kind of see it. And so, right. It's, it's, so, it's funny you bring that up. Cause there's one time like we were driving, it was really snowy and like the car was like about to spin out and like, I'm a pretty good driver and I handled it very calmly. And Christine was amazed. She's like, how did you not panic? Cause like, I've been panicking all my life. This is nothing. Right? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> like, I'm used to it. Right. I'm like, I'm used to it. Like I know what anxiety is and mm-hmm. you know, part of anxiety isn't getting rid of panic completely. It's knowing how to cope with it, distinguish it, and you know eventually diffuse it and that's like that's an incredible you're you're right like that can turn into a superpower yeah. that like you would you wish everybody would have because mm-hmm. because you're right when people who aren't familiar with anxiety or panic get into a in a panic state and this is true for everybody you just cannot think when you're in mm-hmm. that state you do not think or at least you don't think well yeah and uh you see that kind of playing out um unfortunately mm-hmm. no that's a very good observation and i like talking about anxiety with you I, um, like you, like even like my youngest memory, um, of doing ba- uh, baseball, I hate baseball, but I joined a team and, uh, we were, I was like the kids from like the wrong side of tracks, poor kid food stamps. And these are all like rich kids. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I developed ulcers actually. I like medication for ulcers in like third grade or something. So I, I can empathize right. with the childhood anxiety and, and continuing, but especially when they're young. Yeah. So I'd actually love to, love to hear more if you wouldn't mind sharing. Cause mine's, you know, obviously I, there's something about like first off i have a, a family history of it as yes, well and there, i think there definitely is a, a genetic basis for it but mm-hmm. so it's a mix like anything else it's both the environment uh that you're that you're raised in and also the you know your your genetic you know um predispositions as well mm-hmm. um so i think back in my life i can't remember a time in my life when i didn't have some degree of anxiety but the yeah. big like kickoff point for me was in the sixth grade it's funny you mentioned sports because like i had like my first full-blown like panic attack in middle middle school football and i had no idea what it was at the time mm-hmm. right so like you think it's a heart attack and you're like <laughs> totally freaking out and it was so embarrassing yeah. like i laugh about it now this was embarrassing at the time because like they brought in the paramedics and like i'm like this chubby middle oh, schooler and i think i'm like yeah. like i'm like i'm freaking out thinking i'm having a heart attack that was like one of the worst things because then, because like most people didn't know what I had, right. which was odd because my mom always had really bad anxiety. It was odd that like that wasn't considered even by my mom. So I, I was diagnosed with sports asthma, <laughs> which, oh my which I definitely, which I definitely didn't have. Right. It definitely yeah. wasn't that. Um, so then I just started having anxiety about having sports asthma and having an- yeah. asthma attacks all the time, which then of course would like make me think I had asthma attacks because I couldn't breathe because I was having right. anxiety. <laughs> oh. Wrong diagnosis and becoming psychosomatic and oh my God. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, I laugh at it now. It was obviously a great point sure. of suffering in my life back then, but it is, it is kind of, you got to laugh about these things at some oh, point. Oh, for right? sure. No, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. The anxiety, you know, I, it was so bad for me at points. I actually dropped out. I was very good at school, but I actually was so anxious about being in school. I dropped out five times in high school. Mm-hmm. I was going mm-hmm. to finish like Doogie Hauser in three years. And it took me, uh, I was on a six year plan. Eventually I got done in five years, but yeah, I just anxiety. Uh, it, I used to let it just totally consume me. Right. But I don't know mm-hmm. when it was my, I, I tried to reframe it and think about it. Okay. I'm just very, very, very aware <laughs> of everything and I can be good. So just try and use it as a superpower. Right. So I remember, so yeah, agoraphobia, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Yeah, I had multiple phases of that in my life. Yeah, where I just, I couldn't even go to school. I couldn't even get out to the bus stop, right? Yep. Um, so 
with their high, high five to the team agoraphobe. Um, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> but, uh, but you're right, right? Like, what's, what's the solution there, right? The solution is, like, if we're going to break down, like, what I think, like, cures anxiety. And I'm not saying that, like, medicines can't help or anything like that. I haven't been on – like, they put me on medicine when they finally figured mm-hmm. out what it was in early high school. But then I eventually got off of it. I haven't been on it. But I think that can be a – you know, a helpful step for people and sometimes a needed step for people. But yes. the research now is really interesting, actually. It shows that if you do the coping, like CBT and stuff like that, you actually have better results from CBT alone than you do with a mix of CBT and medicine, which I oh, find absolutely fascinating. For the listeners, CBT is cognitive behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? So a lot, there's, and there's strong research on this now. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because I, I think the, the medicine, um, it, it does work to an extent that it, that it could incentivize you not to follow through as much mm-hmm. on the therapy, yeah. right? And I think that was true for me, right? I really didn't start taking my therapy as seriously and practicing coping until I got off the medicine and a lot of the symptoms came back. Mm-hmm. But when that happened, I took my therapy much more seriously. So, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, so even my experience, I can look at that research and say, oh, actually, that kind of matches with my experience. That kind of makes sense. Um, again, not saying that medicine can't help or isn't important. There's a lot of people out there that, that try to demonize the medicine. I think that's mistaken and, and, I agree with you and that. dangerous. I, I think it can be a yeah. lifesaver for a lot of people, to, the medication. Yeah, absolutely. Appropriately done in conjunction with the therapy, for sure. 100%. 100% agree with you, right? Um, but going back to the thing that's really helped me because you brought up awareness, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, like everything to kind of, I think, kind of like help with anxiety is like everything that you would naturally do, don't do that, right? So yeah. don't fight it. Don't run away from it. That's the first step. Like whenever mm-hmm. you have an anxious thought, do, like don't tense. And the word that I always thought one of the, my therapists gave this to me is like, don't, don't tell yourself to relax. That'll never work. <laughs> Try sag. Just think sag, right? Mm-hmm. And, or float. Float was the other good word. Whenever you have an anxious feeling, think float with it or sag with it. So don't fight. Don't run away from, Right. And the other big thing is um, don't add second fear, right? And so, so distinguishing between first fear and second fear. First fear you often can't control, right? It's just mm-hmm. you've kind of set these grooves in your brain where anxious thoughts are kind of on replay or repeat, and they just come up automatically at certain times or in certain situations. You can't always control first fear, but you can react to it by either adding or not adding second fear. And whenever you add second fear, this is when you get into the what if thinking, right? This is when you Mm -hmm. play on to the first fear. That's what actually carves those grooves out and deepens those grooves, those neural pathways. So by adding the second fear, you're, you're, you're only feeding or strengthening the anxiety, right? So the response has to be don't fight, don't run away from, don't add second fear. So you just kind of like greet the anxiety, like these little tricks, like, oh, that's anxiety. And you sag into it. And then the part of not adding second fear is, is patience. Don't mm-hmm. be impatient with time. You have to let the thoughts and feelings come and you have to let them run out of their mental energy because they have a certain energy, right? And, and patience is, I think, the key to the cure, right? Because if you start getting impatient, you start tensing. And as soon as you start tensing, you start adding second fear. So I would say, don't fight, don't r- run away from. Learn not to add second fear. Like greet the anxiety very gently. Oh, that's anxiety. I know what this is. Come on in. Stay as long as you want, right? These different mm-hmm. kind of like, for, you can kind of play, be like be playful with it, honestly, yeah. right? I know what this, these feelings are. And then don't be impatient with time. And for somebody who's really struggled with anxiety, like don't, don't be impatient with time. Could mean months. It could be months, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because your nervous system is so sensitized. You're so wound up that it could take a good couple of weeks, maybe months to, to unwind all of that. 
and for those and for your brain to start to develop new patterns of thought and to to carve out new positive grooves and for those negative grooves to stop being so to be so well worn and energized so those would be like the four steps that i would offer don't run uh don't tense don't fight don't add second fear and be patient with time and if and it's hard to implement those right you will yeah. make mistakes you will make tons of mistakes but if you keep coming back to those basics i i promise you um anxiety yeah i hate to use the word cure but you can live a happy life normal happy yeah. life and there's, there's 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 hope right people who've had anxiety for their entire life have mm -hmm. effectively effectively been cured right i think everybody right. with anxiety there will always be flare-ups there will always be occasional setbacks there will always be things you have to deal with but you can return to you know a life that is largely anxiety free or significantly significantly reduced. Uh, mm -hmm. That is extremely helpful, Pat. That is that might be the most helpful thing of the whole chat. When there's been a lot of good nuggets, that's great Thank to hear you. from you yeah. too. Uh, it's that's going to help a lot of people out there. And um, you know, anxiety, depression, and, and for myself, grief. I've I work with some, some very good therapists who gave me some good tools, like you just gave the listeners. Mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that. Um, is learning to, to accept almost not get comfortable, but just accept that this is part of life and it will pass uh -huh. and it will be okay. It's just, um, you know, like when I had to, you know, the decision kind of made for me last Monday of my in-person jobs, not being available for X amount of time. I was like pretty uncomfortable for a first few moments. <laughs> you know, that's mm -hmm. anxiety. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, just, it's going to be okay. And then I didn't let the secondary mm -hmm. be like, what if this, what if that, like, well, these people are scared too, and they need help. So I need to figure out a way to help these people. That's, that's absolutely beautiful and I think correct. And part of those four steps, if you really look at it, like what are you really doing? You are accepting, mm -hmm. right? You're not fighting. You're not running away from. You're not building on the fear. And you're, you're just, you really are. It's just a form of radical acceptance. Ooh, like and when you stop feeding those anxious thoughts so much energy – you can and will eventually restructure your brain. Like the amygdala will begin to cool, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason you're so anxious is because you keep feeding the anxious thoughts. You keep adding that second fear. You keep ultimately, Sean, you keep ultimately not accepting. Like that's yeah. the issue, right? So yeah, it, it, which is funny because it's kind of counterintuitive. When we're anxious, we want to fight we mm -hmm. want, or we want to run. Mm -hmm. And that, that only compounds the problem. So you have to like be able to take a big step back and, and do what you would not do almost instinctively. Which oh, is, which it. again is, which is extremely difficult, of course. Yeah. And it, but it just takes practice like anything else. And if you practice it, I promise you, you will, you will see massive improvements. Uh, it's, it's very good, Pat. And I was, I, I was kind of thinking a way to copyright what you just said, get the fight or flight, but then you have to float. So <laughs> don't fight or fight, just float. I like that. Yeah. And by no means are these original to me. These are tools that I've acquired through the years of having some very good, uh, you know, therapists, People also other people who aren't even therapists, but they've just come out the other side of anxiety right. too. Right? There's a and lot of those people. Mm -hmm. I think and those are the people we should be hitting up uh, right now in this kind of time because they've endured. They didn't read it in a book. They've they've created their toolkit to to get through, and they could teach it. Absolutely, and that's and that's inspiring because I think when somebody has like the worst thing that I thought when I was like a kid with this anxiety is, and everybody with anxiety has this experience. You think you're the only one, right? right? Mm -hmm. Or like there's almost nobody else like you, which is not true. Statistically, I mean, it's millions and millions of people, right? Mm -hmm. I forget the exact percentage, but it's, it's a lot, right? It's mm -hmm. a lot, uh, especially in our modern age. Uh, and that the kind of constant second fear that you always add, the what if is like, what if I never get out of this? Or what if I can't get out of this? But then finding those people 
then there's a lot of them who have come mm-hmm. out the other side shows that one, you're not alone. And two, that this is something that can be resolved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This message needs to get out to more people, I think, because it's very true. You know, um, I think uh, that's why Jeff was recommended to me tomorrow. I am. Um, I'm going to hopefully he'll share his story about his progress and where he is now. Um, and you sharing your, your stories. Uh, it's, it's very important. People hear these uh, insights because it, hopefully it will help them if they let it help them, you know, we're all in this mm-hmm. together. Everybody's going through some stuff um, and they're not alone. That's the big takeaway. That's right. Yeah. No, always happy to, to open up and share about this stuff because anxiety and all mental health issues are kind of like, there's still this kind of weird taboo about them. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is start is starting to break down. And I'm very glad to see that. And if we can add anything positive to that discussion, all the better, right? Because obviously, as both of us as somebody who's, who's, when you suffer with something, you inherently always become far more empathetic than anybody yeah. else who is. Because you've, you've been yeah. there, right? You yeah. know how terrible it is. Um, and that's one of the fruits of suffering, right? That we've yeah. talked about before. Interestingly enough, like it, it just causes you almost naturally to want to be so much more compassionate, especially to anybody who's, who's been in a similar situation. So always happy to chat about this and, and share however, you know, whatever, hopefully it's helpful in some way. Oh, you know, it is, man. I, like I told you last time, um, you know, our very first conversation, I had such good feedback from people that would never thought would be interested in this kind of stuff, backcountry skiers and snowboarders and fitness people. Um, and then the second show, I, Lots of great feedback, uh, very helpful insights. And this one, I, I love it. I love you, man. I, and I just, I love your messages and what you're doing out there. Um, and I know we've been going for over an hour. And so I think it might be a pretty good place to to pause and maybe do this again in a week or two because we got a little more Hey, man, time. I am down. I'm, I'm around. I got plenty of time. <laughs> I'm here too. <laughs> No, Sean, it's always a joy. I really appreciate this. It's always, um, it's always fun just to hop on the, on the mic and just uh, swap ideas here. So I hope, uh, I hope people have gotten something out of this. And uh, yeah, if anybody, um, if anybody just, I, I'm trying to think of, of conversations I've had before more. I want to start doing more of my own podcast on, on the mental health side. So thank you for, Great. for you know, allowing me to air some of this because it's something I've been wanting to do. And I have done a few episodes before, unfortunately. I don't have them on the top of my mind, but there's, there's definitely a, a, cu- a couple of episodes on the Pat Flynn show where I've gone a little bit more into the mental health I, and anxiety. I do so. recall that. And I listened to it over like at least twice. Cause I was so impressed that you had the, the gumption and the, the will to go and talk about that. And publicly. I talk about it, but people are like, you know, I'm, I like talking about it. So I don't want people to feel like they're alone. So I'm really proud of you. Right. And, and, and it, is, it was one of those episodes, right, where it just goes to show how prevalent this is because the outpouring of people who are saying how much they appreciate this. And, and you know, again, it's, it's this idea that just people often think that they're alone. And, mm-hmm. and you're not. You're not. No. You're definitely not. Mm-hmm. No. So good stuff, man. Really, really had a fun time today. Appreciate oh, me it. too, Pat. I really appreciate you. I'm going to put the show notes for your, your wife's recipes. Um, you're in Alex's uh, body weight workouts. And then I'm going to put a link to my uh, videos I'm putting up together too. A lot of people need a lot of help and we can give a lot of help. So just honor to serve, you know? Absolutely. Good stuff, my friend. All right, Pat. Much love to you, man. Take care. Bye.